Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game Podcast is Mr. Jordan Harbinger. So first and foremost, this episode is sponsored by Naked Warrior Recovery CBD. Go to nicknicknick.com slash links. It will give you all the ways to connect with me on social media and multiple ways to check out this podcast on all the platforms where you get your podcasts at, including YouTube. But more importantly, when you look under affiliates, you will see that you can go and you can click on Get Discounted CBD, and it will take you to the Naked Warrior Recovery CBD site owned by a Navy SEAL, William Brown, and some of the most quality product you can get on the market right now. Check out that site for gummies, for drops, for topicals, for greens, for immunity boosters, for shirts. There's all kinds of really cool stuff made by a great guy, great product, and a great cause. Take it for 30, 60 days consistently. You will absolutely feel better. It has been a miracle drug for me, especially if you have tendon problems and joint problems from lifting weights or from years of athletics or especially from jujitsu. All of a sudden, those nagging aches and pains just start to go away. Put your promo code AGAME at checkout to get 20% off. Let's go to nicknicknick.com. And if you guys want to get the free ebook, um, we have a nice, really easy read. You can get free on the site. It costs some money on Amazon. How the pandemic has affected the real estate market and what every investor needs to know. Jump on Nick, 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 click on get my free ebook. We will send it over to you free of charge and it'll give you some great overviews and some of the things you should be aware of that have changed or shifted in the real estate market over the last 11 to 12 months. While you're on that site, let's make an appointment to talk. We need to start getting you involved in real estate. So if you were on, on this podcast and you're looking to start to make some money, have your money work for you, pick up some properties, get some cash flow going, get some assets on your books, whether it's a cash flow property, a fix and flip property, residential, commercial, we can help. We can figure out a way to get you started. We can figure out a way to work together. If you are a beginner, if you're experienced, if you're advanced and you're looking to scale up, you want to do some development stuff, you're looking all over the country, we have connections, we have people we can get. Just like Jordan Harbinger always said, you'd be surprised. We know people all over the place from just networking for years and the real estate business. So let's make 2021 the difference for you. So whether you want to buy properties from me, I can sell you cash flowing properties. I can sell you fix and flip properties. I can sell you land development deals. If you want to sell properties to me, that's how you want to make your money and you have some good deals. Bring them over. Let's take a look at them. Let's see if we can take them off your hands and pay you good, good money for them. And also, if you're not sure what you want to do, you just want to have a conversation of where you fit in or you want to figure out how we can partner, let's have that conversation. NickNickNick.com. Please leave a review for this show as well. And hopefully you guys like this. Uh, Jordan Harbinger is an absolute stud. He's a major deal um, to be on this show. Probably the most uh, successful podcaster I have interviewed at this point, 6 million downloads. Um, hopefully you guys love it. I appreciate everybody listening. Um, it's been a great episode for me. So Jordan Harbinger, thank you very much. Thank you everybody who listened. NickNickNick.com, Naked Warriors CBD, NickNickNick.com slash links for the affiliates and to check out the book and connect with me. If you are interested in being on the podcast, please email me podcast at NickNickNick.com or if you're interested in booking me to be on your podcast, I'm trying to start pushing to get on more and be a guest and get myself out there a little bit. Again, podcast at nicknicknick.com. We can figure out a time and a place to make it happen. Have a good day. Bring your A game. Enjoy this amazing interview with Jordan Harbinger.
All right, my guest today is referred to as the Larry King of podcasting. He is a networking expert, former Wall Street lawyer turned podcast host, and he is now the host of the Jordan Harbinger Show that gets up to 6 million downloads a month and has been voted one of Apple's best podcasts of 2018. He truly interviews some of the most interesting people on earth, and he has worked with everyone from investors to military and people all across the board. And on his show, you will find a plethora of people from mob enforcers to FBI informants, Syrian prisoners, KGB and Al-Qaeda spies, finance wizards, business gurus, comedians. He is also a proud father, but you probably mostly recognize him from dancing on KCNS-TV <laughs> in North Korea. Please welcome Mr. Jordan Harbinger. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm surprised that you found the dancing video, but I guess I shouldn't be that surprised. <laughs> There you go. Now it's a it's a famous video. There you go. So uh, you know we were just we were touching on that a little bit. Um, I just listened to recently to you on Burt Kreischer's show. Who mm. I I love him. Um, I I couldn't see what the tearing laughing was at the end, but it was making me laugh just hearing him kind of do yeah. that. But yeah, I yeah. thought it was a huge miss that he didn't listen. I, I was hoping that you guys were going to dig into North Korea because like his questions just straight from his head out of his mouth without thinking, I thought would have just made great, uh, great radio. But it was it was a great episode nonetheless. But I definitely want to touch on you going to North Korea. I think it's absolutely fascinating. I've listened to your two episodes on it multiple times. But can you tell me a little bit about how that happened? A little bit about that experience? Again, I just find it fascinating. Sure. Yeah. I mean, where do, where do we even start? North Korea is such a weird place, right? Um, I ran a tour company that took Westerners, you know, US, UK, Canada, Australia to North Korea on tours. And, and that's the only way you can really go. There's, there are business trips and stuff like that that you can do, but, or used to be able to do. Now it's illegal for US citizens to go not from the North Korean side. I'm sure they would still let you in if you set it all up. But um, the United States somehow doesn't allow you to do that. I think that, that since they can't legally restrict your freedom of movement, they sort of they say like, hey, you can't spend money there. So that's a whole thing. Um, but it is such a bizarre world. You know, the whole country's locked down. They don't have Internet. Um, they don't have any sort of modern convenience that you would think. I mean, I shouldn't say that they have cars. You can get around, you fly in, you fly out, but, and they have electricity, but there's no cell phones that you could use to call someone. You can't check your email, nothing like that. There's no cable TV that comes in there, uh, in most places that has any sort of foreign news. Um, it's just, it's very strange. You'll never find a, you'll never go anywhere even remotely like it. Uh, even countries that are extremely restrictive, like Eritrea or or China, uh, which is nothing compared to North Korea in terms of restriction, even those places are nowhere, Belarus, they're nowhere near the level of North Korean isolation. You know, those are places where it's like, you need visas for everything, you need permission for everything, and people can't travel that freely. North Korea is like, they've never seen Facebook. They've never had a conversation, uh, you know, on the internet with anyone because it doesn't exist. They can't ever leave. They will never leave. They don't have passports. They can't cross the border. They will get shot. You know, they don't buy foreign goods. There are no foreign goods for them to purchase inside the country most of the time, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a completely alien sort of landscape. That's crazy. I, I think my misconception of it is that everything's based off of that movie, The Interview. You know, right. like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Like, ah. 
But I did hear it's like, you know, they had the fake grocery store and some things in there. And when somebody bought it up during your show, you said that actually there there are things like that that are just for show and they're just fake. And that kind of blew my mind that that was actually a thing. And I just I didn't understand the point of it other than it's just for show. But what were some of the things I know you guys mentioned, like a fake bookstore and like like somebody fake ringing stuff up just for the yeah. for the show of it? I think that that's so strange. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff like that. So there's there's a department store that's supposed to be like for the rich and privileged people. And you go there and like all the food is expired and like the coolers aren't on, but there's stuff in the cooler and they like turn it on. It, it, it's just and you're like, no, I would never want anything. In, and, you, you know, you're looking at the, the some meat product from like Germany and it's 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 been expired for nine months and it's at the front of the shelf and there's only one and it's the same one that was there the last time I was at that store. You know, it's just weird, weird stuff like that. Or there'll be a store that has like one bicycle and it's a kid's bike. And that's all that's in the store other than some other hand carved wooden objects that like the person who owns the store has. And there's all kinds of weird stuff like that. Um, and a lot of times, and again, this is very sort of communist, but the same objects will be available. All the domestic stuff is available in every store in the country that you can go to. So like the same beer is everywhere, which is sort of normal. I mean, America has the same beers everywhere, but there's only that beer or there's only two kinds uh, and they're in every store. And then I remember like one time when we went there, this is like 2013 or something, they had their own version of Linux, which is an operating system for the computer. It's called Red Star. And they had their own kind of computer that would run it and you could buy the computer there, but you could also buy one in the hotel and you could also buy one at like any restaurant we went to and you could also buy it at any of the stores. It was in a case. And I remember being like, what is this? And it was a, it was a computer that was portable that was like old, you know, old hardware ran Linux only, and it also had an AM FM radio on it, which like, what computer has a radio on it? What a weird combo, because they don't have internet. So if you want to do anything that's not just on the computer, it would be listen to the radio so that it had a radio in it. So it's just a very, a very North Korean product to have like a radio and a computer and there's no connectivity for the computer. <laughs> um, a lot of weird stuff like that, you know, that, that just sort of very signals that you're not in Kansas anymore. Um, they do have bookstores that are, the bookstore itself is real, but no, no Koreans are shopping there. You know, it, it only has, well, most of the books in North Korea are only written by the leader. So like one's by Kim Il-sung or no, not one, a hundred are by Kim Il-sung. Another hundred are by Kim Jong-il. Now I'm sure Kim Jong-un has his own books that are like anything from operas to history books to engineering texts that are obviously not written by them. They're written by other Koreans, but they're not allowed to put their name on there because they don't count. It's all, you know, the leader wrote this. Um, and the bookstore, you know, you, you show up, your tour guide knocks on the door. Some woman comes out in a jacket. There's no heat in the store. She turns on the lights, unlocks the door. You know, she, she's like, oh, th there's no other customer that's going to come. So she's just sitting there listening to the radio and like, you know, chopping carrots or something, waiting for tourists to, to come by. And probably she's only there on that day. And I, I've also my trick was always to go like, oh, can I go to the bathroom at every place? And so the tour guide was like, man, you really have to pee a lot. But I did that because if you have to go to the bathroom in the bookstore, well, there's no customer bathroom in this tiny bookstore with no heat no electricity or you know only sometimes has electricity so 
they take you into their back home area. And that's where you can kind of see like, geez, this person lives here or they live upstairs. And like, this is a kitchen behind this storefront and they have like the squat toilet. So I'm always constantly going in these different places to see the bathroom because that's where the only place where you see what's really going on is when they're like, Ugh, the, this guy has to take a piss again. And we used to do that on the road too. You know, we'd, we'd be in the middle of a village area uh, on a bus and you can't stop there. But I would go, hey, you know, me and these three guys, we really got to pee right now. We got to pee really bad. Oh man, this guy's got to pee really bad. And they're like, okay, okay. So they pull the bus over and we'll get out and like one guy will set up his camera and he starts to take photos and I'm taking the world's longest piss on the side of the road takes like 15 minutes. And then, you know, like farmers are coming up to us and like, you know, saying stuff in Korean and, you know, girls are looking at us and stuff cause they've never seen white people in their life and we're in the middle of nowhere. So it's just like kind of an adventure, but everything's an adventure. Cause these are people that are like not allowed to have contact with foreigners at all ever anywhere. And that's super interesting, you know, to be able to, to be in that position. But yeah, a lot of it is a Potemkin village. The hotel you're in is the only place with power after 9 PM. You know, the, the place where you are has food that you can buy. A lot of the grocery stores don't, there's huge lines. And when you ask what they are, they're like, Oh, it's just people waiting for something. And you're like, okay, but they're all clearly just waiting for food. They're in a ration line, you know, or you look out the window and you see like a two hour long line for a tram to get across town and that, it, you know, that's the kind of stuff you see in North Korea. Like there's almost no semblance of what would look like regular normal life. There's no cars driving in the main, in the capital city, you'll open the window in the morning and you can't hear any sound because there's no industry. There's no engines, nothing. There's no cars driving, nothing. Or you'll hear an engine sound and you'll look like 300 yards out. You see a car and that's the car you hear. You're like, What? <laughs> You know, because in a normal town, you would never hear that because you would hear all all kinds of other noise over and above that car engine. It would just be a silent thing off in the distance. But instead, in North Korea, you can hear it and you can hear people singing from, you know, half a mile away because it's the only sound in the area. There's no machinery. It's just so weird. What a nutty experience. Is, mm -hmm. is that, I heard you talk about going in with an open mind really changes the perspective on that trip. Obviously, from all the different people that you talk to and all the different experiences you have, you, you are open-minded to different experiences and conversations. Was that something that trips like that have taught you or is that something that you, has always been a natural part of who you are? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that trips have taught me because when I first started traveling, I was probably like, I, I, rem I thought about this the other day and kind of cringed. You know, I went to Europe when I was really young, with my friend's mom, because my parents were like, not going to take me to Europe. But I remember my friend and his mom were going to go to Europe in, in like se between seventh and eighth grade. And they were like, yeah, you should come. And I was like, I definitely want to go. You know, I really want to go. I really want to go. And my mom was like, okay. So she sent me to Europe with them. And I remember like eating at McDonald's everywhere in Italy and France and Germany and like just stupid stuff like that. You know, and like one, like buying souvenirs that were like just crap you could get on Hollywood Boulevard, basically, <laughs> you know, like just little kid crap that that was sold to tourists and tourist trappy, crappy areas and kind of like complaining about things not working perfectly or like having to wait for things, you know, just all that stuff. And then I became an exchange student in Germany in the 90s, the late 90s. And 
I remember calling my parents like every day and being, or not calling, but like emailing them every day and be like, this sucks and that sucks and this other thing sucks and this all sucks and this sucks and that sucks. And then as I gradually started to like grow up while I was there over the year, I realized like, oh, there's a lot of things that are different that might even be better or are just different and it's not better or worse. It's just different. And I started to accept that. And then, so as you start to go through that process, you do start to go to other countries and go, huh, okay, this is just different. Okay, this is just different. But I will say, when you go to a place like North Korea, there are things where you go, what the hell? This is <laughs> subpar. Nobody should be like this. This is not a good thing. You know, and, and your gut reaction at that point is like, oh, I shouldn't maybe be so like ethnocentric or whatever. And I've gotten that criticism before talking about it on the show. I remember somebody like, asked me like, oh, aren't you being a little ethnocentric? And I was thinking, you know, I see what you're saying, but no, because if you're in a country where they will literally murder your whole family because you said something negative about the government, it's not ethnocentric to be like, hey, that sucks and no one should live like that. That's not just one of those, well, potato, potato, you know, they live this way and to each their own. No, it's like one is a brutal, murderous regime and the other one has economic and political and religious freedom. And those things are not to be, you can't just sort of, you can woke yourself into oblivion and you still can't get to the point where these two things are equivalent in, in how good or functional they actually are. So I sort of refuse to play that game, which pisses, pisses a lot of people off. Cause I'll say like, Hey, you know, this isn't that good about, you know, the way that China operates and they'll go, Oh, you're being racist. And I'm like, no idiot. It's not racist to say, Hey, people shouldn't just disappear and go to prison with no trial because they exposed corruption in a financial sector. That's not that's once again, not potato potato. Hey, this is China. Just stop ju being judgy. This is you live in a bullshit totalitarian regime with unchecked power of the police and the state. And that's bad. Universally, full stop, no real debate to be had. That's not good. And so I, I do tend to sort of dig in, but I, I became open minded, uh, more open minded in my travels. But the, like Carl Sagan says, you want to be open minded, but not so open minded that your freaking brain falls out, you know? That's a good point. And it's funny that you brought that up because I was actually going to reference it. I thought your response was hysterical when the guy accused you of that. And you were like, well, gee, I don't like countries that starve and kill their people. And you went to your point. Hey, what about you? How do you feel? He was like, not me neither. It was like, all right, case closed. Yeah, case closed. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I think that guy that was like on a live show that I later put in the feed, that guy was talking. I said something like we we're talking about North Korea. And then somebody said, well, what about Iran? And I said, well, I've never been to Iran, but what I know about it is, you know, no religious freedom. Um, they kill, they have, they'll kill people for almost no reason. Trials are cursory. There's not an independent judiciary. And this guy was like, that's ethnocentric. And I was like, you know what, dude, if you went to Iran and you said, you know what, I think I'm gay or trans or I don't like this policy, they will kill you in public. What part of that is it me like me dis being disapproving of this or I th maybe it was Saudi Arabia also. I can't remember if we included them or if it was just Iran. And it's like, what part of that requires any sort of excuse? I, I just I, I can't get to the mental gymnastics that some of these people do to like rationalize that some cultures just murder people for no fucking reason. And some don't. What are you t like? Why would you? Why would you bend over and turn yourself into a pretzel in order to justify that kind of behavior? Like what, 
what sort of crap are they feeding you where that's okay? And I'm not trying to say like, you know, leftists or something. Like, I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about there's this whole group of people that seem to think like countries can just do whatever the hell they want. We just have to sort of say that it's okay because otherwise we're being racist. And it's just such bullshit. It is. There, there's a definite need for overcorrection with the PC police these days. Yeah. Thing, man. It is crazy. Um, but focusing on your show, I find your show very interesting because with mine, I, I initially wanted to do real estate, but then I figured like it's the same conversation with the same people. Mm-hmm. So I started bringing in like my friends who are like UFC fighters and jujitsu guys and an astronaut and people from other walks of life that had some interest in investing and getting fresh opinions. And I would get a lot of feedback that be, no, no, no. You got to have your avatar. You can't have a jujitsu guy and a real estate guy. You can't have this guy and that guy. But your show seems to break all of those rules. I mean, it's, and what's cool is the way people talk about, like, you have your own Twitter based on what your things are. Your feed will look different than my feed. I feel like everybody's Jordan Harbinger show is completely different because if you want to focus on, like, finances and how to get out of debt, you can hit and go through your catalog and have an entire, probably weeks and weeks of courses. Or if you want to focus on, like, just stories and entertainment or like it, it's it's an amazing mix of things and, and it was very interesting to me to see like how do you pick who comes on and who doesn't yeah you know i just go with my own interests and that's kind of a an, been an important key because i noticed that these podcasts that start off and they're like all about dating or all the time or all about business all the time the host will eventually lose interest in those subjects and even if they don't like it's business it's broad enough cool now you're competing against everyone else in the business niche who has a podcast. So what happens if you're like, yeah, I'm just talking about business. And then Mark Cuban's like, yeah, I'm going to do a podcast. Well, you're screwed, right? Because <laughs> he's, he is going to win at that, at that game. Um, but if you are doing things that you're interested in, so like I'll have a show that's about how to negotiate a higher salary at work. Then I have a show about travel to North Korea. Then I have a show with the mafia enforcer. If you kind of know that you're getting high quality conversation, but you kind of don't know necessarily what it's going to be, then it's enough variety to keep people interested. The other thing is, if let's say it's a dating show. And I, I the way I came to this was because I used to do this dating show and I used to talk with listeners who would be like, yeah, man, I, I used to listen to you like all the time five years ago. And I'd go, well, why don't you listen anymore? And they go, well, I met my wife and I'd go, damn, you know. I'm losing my best listeners because my stuff is working and they're outgrowing it. Why aren't I outgrowing it? And then I realized I did outgrow it, but I was like, oh, well, I got to sell my dating product. So I got to keep talking about dating. And then, and that worked, you know, I kept having new people come in and buy the products, but I kept losing my best people that actually like took the advice and applied it. And that was kind of a shame. And so I wanted to make sure that, I was going to stay interested. And and the problem was after a while, you know, I met my own wife and I was like, great. So am I going to be like the 35 year old now 40 year old guy who's been married for X number of years and as a kid and is like, yeah, dating this, dating that. Cause I remember when I was doing the dating thing, there were like dads who were married and they were doing shows about dating. And it was so freaking cringe because they'd be like, yeah, you need to do this and you need to do that. And I remember looking at my my buddies who were like decade younger than these guys and going, this guy doesn't know how to, this guy doesn't know shit about dating. He's making this up. You know, I remember this one guy had like a product like about dating using Twitter to date. And I was like, you've, I remember turning to my friend and going, this guy's never done this. This whole product 
exists in his like weird fantasy version of what flirting on Twitter looks like because he doesn't do it himself and never has to. And he wrote this whole product about it. Now he's like charging for it. And I remember thinking, what a freaking con artist, like what an idiot. And I was like, wait a minute, I can never become that guy. So then I started, as I started to lose interest, I realized the show's not going to be as good if I'm talking about things I'm not interested in. So I started to go, you know, what if I just do the occasional off topic show, keep it mostly dating and relationships add in an off topic show. Then I started getting letters that were like, wow, that was super interesting. And I was like, oh, well, that's good. What if I do two off topic shows each month? What if I do three? And then it was like, I'm sick of talking about dating. All my shows are just what I'm interested in. And then the show started getting really, really, really popular. And unfortunately, my business partners in the dating business, they were like, hey, man, we need you to get back to dating and relationships. And I was like, nah, I don't really want to. And they, it, it was easy for them to say because it wasn't them who had to do the show. And if we did a topic that was really cringe with a person who turned out to be kind of a gross, skeezy pickup artist guy, it was my reputation that suffered, not theirs. So I was like, guys, you can't force me to be interested in something. You can't force me to talk about things I'm not interested in. The show quality is exploding. The level of client we're getting in our business is, is improving. Don't mess with the recipe. And that conflict boiled over eventually and resulted in me leaving that old company and starting over, quote unquote, from zero with the Jordan Harbinger show. And what's interesting is those guys did go back to the dating and relationship stuff and the audience absolutely tanked. You know, it's not doing well. They lost probably 80, 90 percent of the audience. The Jordan Harbinger show took the vast majority of that audience. Um, I was able to take my my staff with me, too, when I left. So it actually was the best thing that ever happened to me. And it was an interesting experiment because those guys went back to dating and relationships. Nobody, the show is irrelevant. No one listens to it anymore. And on top of that, now when I occasionally, you know, once every three months or so, I'll look at their website and I'll go, oh, what are they doing now? They're now trying to do what I'm doing by just having a variety of guests. And I, I kind of chuckled and talked to my team on a call earlier this week. And I went, cause someone said, Hey, look, they're having this person and this person. And I was like, God, it's way too little too late. You know, this is the, the show they're doing now is the version of the show that I was doing when they were like, stop doing that. And now they're trying desperately to get to where we were five years ago. And it's just like, I, I'm so glad to have been able to leave and start over in 2020 hindsight. I should have done it years ago. Um, but I do I, like back to your question. I really do pick guests based on my own interests. Of course, my interests are I try and get the best things out of the guest. I try not to just make it a ramble about my own personal life or any of that crap. It's trying to get the best conversation out of the guest, trying to get practical application and takeaways for the listeners, because it is for the listener. As long as I am doing shows for the listener, for the benefit of those listening, I feel like I can't really I can't really go wrong. You know, um, and and so that's really the guiding the, that's the North Star is like what's good for the listener. Uh, and that's very helpful because having some dude bro who paid me 25K to come talk about protein shakes, not good for the listener, won't do it. You know, having a, a businessman come on and show off his boats and talk about how great he is, not good for the listener. But Mafia Enforcer has a great story and has some good life lessons, great for the listener. But on the other hand, also having Seth Godin or Kobe Bryant or Matthew McConaughey come on and talk about their career and some lessons they learned during their career. Great for the listener. What do those folks have in common? Not a whole lot, but the through line for the show is still there.
Man, I love that. And a shout out, my buddy Paul Hulksmash Harrison is a uh, Sarah Jiu Jitsu black belt, and he actually turned me on to you. He's oh, cool. He texted me earlier. He's been following you since the the old days, and he doesn't have great things to say about the other, but great Got things it. to say about you currently. So uh, I appreciate that. He's like, Dude, appreciate you gotta that. give him a shout out. I was like, yeah, he's a big fan of yours. He says great cool, things. Cool, cool. So, Thank you oh, for that. You you brought up an interesting point. You, you do say how you do the show for for the guests, and one thing that I'm blown for the away audience with, for the audience oh, for, the, for the audience. I apologize. Yeah. Um, and and for the audience, you do implementation. Like you actually have the the show notes that you have on the episode webpage, and then the actual worksheets that you send out after. I thought are a freaking genius idea. I never even thought of that. I can't imagine the work that goes into that, but it was huge. Like, especially I'm, I'm going to talk about Matthew Walker, but after that one, I was like, man, where do I start? And it was like, hey, start with the start, the worksheet and go to this. And I was like, oh, look at all this resources. Look mm -hmm. at all these things to do, man. Like that's an amazing thing to take implementation from the stuff that you're teaching right there. And it's all live on your site. Like it is, it is really, it is really well done, man. Congrats on that. Thank it's you. Impressive. Thank you. Yeah. You know, the worksheets for people that don't know the worksheets are like, let's say I have a guest on, like you mentioned, Matthew Walker episode about sleep. Okay. Well, if I'm at the gym listening, I'm driving, I'm listening, I'm running, I'm listening. I'm not taking notes about like, you got to take this type of melatonin and make sure you don't take too much. Cause it does this. And like, here's how you set up your bedtime routine. I don't really know that show was so many years ago. I can't really remember the exact takeaways. But people, they have to stop what they're doing. They got to take notes. And then what happens is they go, I don't want to take notes right now, but I also don't want to have to listen to this twice. So then they just switch to another podcast. So I'm like, what if we put the notes you would have taken into a worksheet that you can just download? Now you can listen on your jog while you're driving at the gym and your you know, sw during your swim. And then you just go grab the worksheets later. And then you're like, okay, good. I have everything that I need. So we decided to create that resource for like every episode of the show. And that's been just money because every listener can just go ahead and grab that. They don't have to feel like they're missing anything. They don't have to hit rewind 58 times to like get the gem in there. It's all in the worksheets. And that makes it easy for people to review their knowledge too. They can go and review a couple of the worksheets from their favorite episodes. They don't have to re-listen to the episode itself if they don't want to. And, and I just found that to be like a useful resource. Again, the show is for the listener, right? So any sort of useful resource I can make, I will. And I also figured like, Maybe in a few years, I'll have some sort of product that I'm like, hey, look, if you buy this, you also get all these extra things. Or like maybe someone will create like an online thing for the Jordan Harbinger show and they'll go, what should we put in here? And I'll be like, I got a thousand worksheets, you know, or whatever that you can put in there that are useful that people can use. Um, and so I just, you know, I, I'm always trying to make the show more useful and more shareable. And so that's kind of the that's kind of the best thing that I can do, I think, is is create those show notes and those those worksheets. It, it's awesome. People have to check it out. I was I was really impressed with it. I could I could literally sit on my computer for a week and just kind of <laughs> geek out on the stuff from there. Um, but but we did talk about Matthew Walker and talking about implementation for you interviewing all these different amazing guests. How do you implement some of the things that you want to take away? Because I'd imagine like after every most conversations, you're probably like, I got to do this. But how do you actually pick what you're able to do with the amount of time you have and the amount of interviews you do? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that comes out of the interviews. So I sort of try to pick like the one or two top things in that interview. And I'm like, okay, what is it that I want to do? You know, with Matthew Walker, it was like, all right, I need to get a handle on my sleep, start tracking my sleep, make sure I'm getting enough sleep, deep sleep, things like that. And then 
you know, is it my diet? Is it my exercise? Is it the time I'm going to bed? You know, tweak that. I end, I ended up hiring a sleep coach after that episode because I was like, oh God, you know, I need to like really dial in my deep sleep. Um, it's really going to cause a problem. That problem is going to compound over time. It could cause dementia, lack of deep sleep, things like that. So I was like, all right, I need to handle this. But you know, if I'm just listening to like a really interesting episode with somebody and they, they give one or two kind of life lessons and they're like, look, this is really important. This is an important thing in my life. I highly recommend everyone listen to this thing that I'm about to say. I'll just keep it in the back of my mind. I find myself applying that stuff pretty regularly, but I try not to obsess over this stuff because I realize you can really, you can drive yourself nuts being like, there's 58 things I learned last week that I need to implement into my life. And it's like, holy smoke, you're going to go crazy. You're going to feel behind. You're going to overwhelm yourself. So I try not to do that. Honestly, I try to take like one thing from each show and then, you know, see how it applies to my life. Not try to apply 20 things from each show three times a week. Ever wanted to play the drums? Or do you want to get your kids some drum lessons to burn some of that energy while they are all locked up? Take advantage of a free drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected drummers, Dan LaMagna. Dan LaMagna has played in such bands as Crown of Thorns, Suicide City, Biohazard, The Real McKenzie's, Sworn Enemy, The Walls of Jericho. He's played all over the world and he's also endorsed by such companies as DW, Vader, and Sabian. Dan has taught tons of people from all different age groups and all different music styles. He can teach adults, kids, advanced beginner, any types of styles from metal, all different types of percussion, whatever style you want. Get a free drum lesson today from Dan. All you need to do is text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to 833. 632-0585. Again, text the word drummer, D-R-U-M-M-E-R, to the number 833-632-0585 for your free online drum lesson. That's smart, man. I like that. I have to take that advice as well. Um, So I, I did have a couple of honorable mentions that I wanted to shout out that were some of my favorite podcasts, but mm -hmm. then there's there's two that I really want to talk a little bit deeper. So I, I mean, Chris Voss, Jack Garcia, Neil Brennan, Jack Barsky. The, I mean, these are, there's so many great episodes. Like I, people have to check this out. And I'm going to do actually a follow-up on this of some of my favorite episodes of yours. Cool. But one of the things that was one of the most eye-opening for me was the Kobe Bryant one. You know, I wasn't, mm -hmm. I'm not a big basketball fan. I'm a short guy, so <laughs> basketball is not really my thing. But what was amazing to me is listening to how articulate and smart and well-spoken he is and the, the way, you know, like, oh, I listen to Smells Like Teens, things that I wouldn't have expected. And it showed me a completely different side of him than I had ever thought of him. And, and it, it made me a big fan of his. Um, what guest specifically, was there any of them that that happened for you that you had a perception or an idea and after listening to them, just completely rewrote the script and saw a different side of them. Yeah. I would say Howie Mandel from, well, from a lot of things, but of course from America's got talent, you know, he's the bald comedian. Uh, that's the judge on the show. And I was like, yeah, he's not my favorite comedian or whatever, but I, I know him, you know, he seems like an okay guy. And then I interviewed him and he was like the most generous, kind, giving, outgoing, fun person. And I was like, this is a genuinely good guy. Like he really cares about people. He really works hard. He's really likable. There's just a lot of good things about him. You know, whereas a lot of celebrity interviews, you're like in, out, eh, okay, fine. Or like, that was fun. That was cool. But with him, I was like, 
this is a good person that deserves like all of the, the things that they have earned in this life, you know? Um, and looking at his story and researching people, it makes you have an affinity for them. I think one of the jokes that Howie Mandel made during the show was he was, he got tapped to be the host of deal or no deal, which is a game show. And he didn't want to do it because game shows are kind of corny in his opinion, which I agree with. And he said something like, you know, I told my wife I got an offer to do this, but I don't want to do it because it's kind of corny and game shows are where careers go to die. And I don't want that to do. I don't want that to happen to my career. And she said, you don't have a career. You haven't worked in like 10 years. And he's like, yeah, you're right. So he did Deal or No Deal, turned out to be the most popular game show in America. They ported it over to Canada. It's the most popular game show over there. They ported it over to like Europe or something like that. I think it, it runs with a different host there. But like, I think as part of it, I don't know how it works, but he's basically like supercharged. And then from there, they were like, hey, this guy's great. Let's tap him to be a judge on America's Got Talent. So he legit went from like probably not doing super great as a comedian that hasn't worked in 10 years, I'm just going to guess, to a guy that quite possibly owns his own jet or at least doesn't fly commercial ever and never will, you know? And I'm like, that's a pretty good comeback, but he's not a dick about it at all. And he, he spent like five, four or five hours with us during the interview, which is five times, four or five times the amount of time we usually spend. And we kept saying like, Hey, if you have to go, like, you know, we're almost done. And he goes, I'm just going to leave after you're done. So we're like, cool. Can we take some more B roll of your office? And he's like, yeah, let me give you a tour. You know, it was just that over and over. And then we were about to leave. He's like, I don't suppose you want to see the golden buzzer from last night. I got it on tape and I'm about to watch it. So we sat down on his couch in his office and watched America's got talent. You know, it was just like really, really generous guy. And his whole staff's there. They're trying to get shit done, you know, and they were like, we're sorry. And they're like, no, 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 no. He's having fun with you. Like it's, it's cool. It's totally cool. So that to me was kind of funny. You know, they, he was just, he had all the time in the world and there's not that many people who've, who are at that level that behave like that. They really, my are. mom would love to hear that. She loves Harry Mandel. So love you, mom. Shout out to Harry Mandel. Um, so one of the things I also heard in the Colby interview was that he talked about the difference between being good and being great and consistently great was having that, that inner, inner dialogue with yourself and constantly negotiating with yourself. You have interviewed the cream of the crop across all these different types of platforms and professions and personalities. Is there anything consistent that you found that the top producers or the one percenters have as a characteristic or portrait that they do or they don't do? Yeah, usually what high performers have that other people don't have is discipline. And I know that sounds really obvious, but it's it's actually a lot of people who are not high performers. They think like, oh, you got to be able, able to operate at this like superhuman level of intensity, right? And and that's true if you are an athlete, you're like Kobe, you've got to be able to like play with a broken ankle and a punctured lung or you know whatever during the playoffs. Um, yeah, you do have to be able to do that. But what most successful people have, they just have a lot of systems in place and they follow those systems and they don't make a ton of excuses uh, for themselves. And that's 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 it. That's it. You know, like a lot of people that are not successful, they're really good at rationalizing why they don't do things. But even beyond that, they don't have systems in place to get those things done in the first place. And in my old company, there were a lot of guys uh, that never got organized. And I, re I remember during towards the end of my tenure with one of my old one of my old companies there. I was doing we were all in one place and we were like doing four or five days of meetings and work. And I remember it would be like, I'd get up and I'd be the only one awake. 
and I'd work. I'd get a bunch of stuff done. I'd go to the gym. Workout would be done. Then I'd attack my emails, get those done, get my tasks done, do the fan mail, get the production schedule done. Those guys would sort of like wake up, go get a coffee. Then they'd be hungry. And then they'd, get, they'd want to talk about what work they were going to do that day. Then they'd be like, all right, it's lunchtime. We're hungry. And I'm thinking, I've already done everything that I need to do today. And the whole afternoon is productivity time. And it'd be, you know, we'd eat lunch. They'd be full. We'd get a couple hours of work done, mostly planning. Then it's four. They want to go check some place out, some store, take a break, get a drink. Then they want dinner. Then it's nighttime. And I'm thinking like, how the F do you guys get anything done? And now I know. And then I looked at their calendar. They didn't even use the calendar or it was a calendar that had two things on it for the whole week. And my thing, my calendar had those same amount of items that their week had before lunch on Monday. And I went, Oh, I get it. I have, I have a system, a calendar. What's on the calendar gets done. And what's not on the calendar doesn't get done. And they were completely reactive. Well, if a fire falls in my lap, I guess I'll put it out and then I'll take the rest of the day off. And then, you know, I'm kind of hungry. Great. That's an excuse to not do anything. All right. Well, fine. Let's go eat. You know, and it's just, it was just sort of like whatever popped in their head got done. And I remember thinking, this is why I'm getting a project done every couple months and they haven't gotten us, you know, they've changed the plan and haven't gotten a single project done for at least 18 months. And now that I run my own business and I can look at their business or our old business from the outside, the business is basically the same as it was when I left three years ago. They have a new website or something. And I'm just like, good Lord. Your biggest change in your business is you got a new website and you've got a couple other, you know, t- cheap offers on your site. I built a whole business that is more profitable than our old company was after 11 years. And I was there in year two. It's now year three, you know, going on year, th- year four in a month here. And I built more than what you have that took a decade and 11 years. But bear in mind, I was in that company. So it's interesting to see because if you think about it, being partnered with people like that, not only are they not getting anything done and people should think about this for their own businesses, their own, the people they surround themselves with. I was in that organization too. So the slow pace of that organization is part partially on me. And I thought, well, that's how long it takes to build an organization. Well, it turns out that's not true. Given the fact that the Jordan Harbinger show is the size it is now. What's true is when you work with dead weight, you have to drag them. Even if you think you're not, you're literally dragging those people with you. And if they outnumber you, you're screwed because you're going to be dragging one with each arm. How are you ever going to get anything done? And it looked like we got a lot done over the 11 years. But honestly, we should have probably done all that in three, four, five years. And we should have been way ahead of where we were when we finally split. It, It shouldn't have even been close. I shouldn't be lapping them right now where I am with the Jordan Harbinger show after three years. That just that shouldn't be physically possible. That's great advice, man. I a thousand percent agree. That, that's a that's a great value clip right there. Um, so you're you're obviously doing great right now. I think you've the amount of people that you've interviewed are is amazing. But is there three people that would be like your dream interviews that you still haven't talked to? Yeah, sure. I think it would be cool to get Obama on the show. I think it'd be great to get Will Smith on the show. 
Um, Oprah would be a good one. I mean, the list goes on, right? That's cool. You know, so networking, you're a networking expert. Um, huge part of almost every business, whether again, it's my jujitsu guys, real mm -hmm. estate guys, you know, networking is just a thing, even personally learning how to network better. Um, I've been recently taking your six minute networking course on your website. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And uh, the 10 a.m. every day for, I started doing that. I did it today. I'm getting all these random texts back. I, I just think it's it's so basic, but it's so genius. And the application of it, I'm already seeing results on. So talk a little bit about your course and a, a little bit about that networking tip. Sure. So you have to dig the well before you're thirsty. That's the motto of the course, right? It's build relationships before you need them. And most people don't do this. And so the people who do do this, it is a massive like life shifting advantage. It's like investing early, right? The interest compounds on money and on relationships and smart people, successful people, they talk about this all the time. And the problem is most people say, great, but I don't like networking or it's cringe or I don't have time, something along those lines. So I created the six minute networking course, which is free. You know, you don't have to enter your credit card or any of that crap. <laughs> um, it, it's free and it takes five, six minutes a day. And the reason that that's important is because otherwise no one wants to drive across town and go to a mixer and people don't want to join a $10,000 a year mastermind a lot of the time just to quote unquote network. doesn't make any sense. The ROI isn't there. So I wanted to make something that took less time than people messing around on Instagram. And the, basically time that would otherwise be wasted by people screwing around on social media, doing some sort of zero ROI activity. And I wanted to make it that I wanted to make that their networking effort for the day because a lot of people, they don't network at all. And then when they need something, they try and call people and like, it, it doesn't work. You know, when you call someone that hasn't heard from you in eight years, you're like, Oh, great. Is it Herbalife or Scientology? Like, what are you going to th throw in my face? And so their guard is up. So by digging the well, before you get thirsty, you're creating relationships before you need them. So I'm texting people, I'm calling people or emailing people, whatever it is that's scalable, usually not calling, actually usually text or email every six months or so. And then as the years go by and the relationships slowly but surely get a little bit deeper, but not by a whole lot because there's not a whole lot of time to invest in each one. Then if I do need something or if that person does need something, we have a real connection there. I'm in their external sort of wider circle. It's not weird for me to ask them for a favor or for them to ask me for a bit of advice or a favor. And that's important because when eventually, God forbid, something does happen or whatever, you launch a book or something, you can reach out to them and their guard is not up. They're not thinking, what does this a-hole want? You know, you're saying, hey, look. Um, I'm launching a book. I don't know if you'd be part of it. They're much more likely to help you because you've talked to them, even if it's just once every six months for the past, I don't know, two, three years. Um, and the same thing goes where if your business implodes or you need a job, um, you know, reaching out to somebody you haven't talked to in eight years, five years, two years, good luck. Reaching out to somebody who even was just at the very external fringes of your circle where you just spoke with them on text two or three times the past year, max, they're a million times more likely to respond, have something positive to help you out, uh, keep you in mind for something versus somebody who they don't because they don't they know you at that point. Right. But if they don't know you and you come out of nowhere, I would never recommend somebody for a job or even feel comfortable connecting someone for a job if I didn't know them and I hadn't talked to them in years. But if someone was just like a decent enough person and they'd sort of kept in touch over the years, I would say, hey, look, I don't necessarily know this guy. I haven't worked with him, but he seems nice. I've known him for a couple years, you know, just on the periphery of my network. 
here's his resume or he's, you know, not a psycho, right? That kind of like, <laughs> that goes a long way. And people don't bother to do this because they don't see the the immediate ROI and what's in it for them. And that's a massive mistake that very often bites people in the butt. And they end up, like, I, I, I not a month goes by where I don't get an email, especially nowadays, where someone says, hey, I know you say dig the well before you get thirsty, but I didn't do that. And now I got laid off. So what's the emergency makeup for lost time way to do this? And I go, the bad news is there is no short. The shortcut is start three years ago when I first told you about this and you didn't need it because you had a job and you thought you were bulletproof forever. And and I kind of get it, right? Like I, there are people that'll say things like, why do I need to network? I love my job. And I'm thinking, what happens if your job doesn't love you in a month yeah. or a year? What makes you think you're just entitled to keep working at this career forever? You know, like what, what, what economy did you, what world did you grow up in where shit doesn't go down and you end up, your company closes or lays you off. And honestly, I kind of understand the mindset of not even wanting to think about that, but that's kind of like not buying insurance on your house because God forbid there should be a fire. That's a tragic thought. So just ignore it. I mean, it's, it's the dumbest thing you can do. And yet I see people completely opting out of what essentially amounts to the best insurance you can have because they don't want to spend five minutes a day investing in their network and their, and in their relationships. So it's a little bit mind blowing to me that people don't want to do this. And the drill that you were talking about is every day around 10, 10 30 AM, I open my, I grab my phone, go in my text messaging app, scroll all the way to the bottom. And that's where you've got like your group of five guys that you had lunch with six years ago at a conference and you never kept in touch with two of them and the other four are your buddies now. Or like, you know, somebody who you worked with at your old company that was pretty cool, but you kind of didn't really keep in touch. You know, those are the people that I, I send this to. And I, I ask them how they're doing, send them a little brief update on me. Um, the full script is in the course, uh, in the six minute networking course at jordanharbinger.com slash course. But the script is essentially, you let them know who you are. You let them know where you met in case they don't remember you. You make sure you tell them your name. You use their name so they don't think it's a mass text, et cetera. Send them a little update and just give them something that compels a response. Not get back to me right away, but something that's just, yeah. a, in fact, quite the opposite. Like, hey, don't worry if you can't get back to me right away. Just curious how you're doing. Ironically, or I would say counterintuitively, is the best thing you can do to compel a response because then people aren't thinking, oh, he's selling something. Because if you're like, yeah, just get back to me whenever or never if you're busy, it's all good. That's not how salesmen talk, right? Salesmen are like, I have a great opportunity for you. Get back to me as soon as you can. And you're like, oh my God, what is it? Which never happens, but that's what happens in the multi-level marketing fantasy sales call. Sure. So um, as you can tell, I'm not a fan of multi-level marketing or any <laughs> other scam for that matter. But these, you know, this drill every day, I call it connect four because you do it with like four people a day. Or now, if since I've been doing it for so many years, I do it like one person a day. You start to see people coming back to you and going, oh, my God, I haven't talked to you in forever. How are you? And you realize that most people are glad to hear from you. And now you're top of mind for them and they're top of mind for you. And you start making introductions to other people because some of the people you check in with have a service that your other people in your network can use, or they have a need that other people in your network can fill. And you start connecting people and building referral currency and building social capital among those people. And you're building your reputation and you're banking that stuff, that goodwill. And over time, 
you start getting opportunities because people say, hey, man, you know, good to hear from you last month. By the way, do you do speaking? Because I'm about to go on my annual. Uh, we're planning our annual retreat and we need a speaker or, you know, you, you mentioned you were in real estate. Do you know anything about this? And then you go to your real estate buddy and you go, hey, I got a guy who's looking to buy something in the area. Are you, aren't you in that area? And they're like, dude, you're throwing me a client. Hell yeah. Great. Thank you. You know, and you do that over and over and over and over again. It takes you virtually no time because you're just texting people and then you're creating email introductions, you know, over time. And you kind of blink and three years later, people owe you 400 different favors, you know, and you have a great reputation as a connector. And then people start coming to you and going, Hey, look, I know you're kind of a super connector and you know, everyone, uh, you do a great job of keeping in touch. Do you know anybody who does this and this and this, and then you're getting even more opportunity to throw business to your friends and clients to your other friends and ask for help from people that normally you can't get in touch with because somebody can't wait to help you because you help them with something else. Right. So that's why it looks like a lot of these people who are super connectors are just getting lucky all the time. It's because they have a very strong social network. So yeah, they're getting invited to floor to sit in floor seats at the Lakers. Yeah. They're getting a great deal on X, Y, Z thing, or they're getting something for free because somebody else said, you know, sent it to them as a gift for helping them out with this other thing. That's how high performers and super connectors get things done. And it looks like magic to somebody who doesn't do this. It's like, Oh, well maybe he's rich or maybe he just was what born knowing everyone. Come on. You know? And when you see somebody who's invested in this, they kind of look like they can make magic. You're just like, how are you getting all this for free? How do you know this person? How do you know that person? And people will see it happen with me and they go, oh, well, it's because you're quote unquote famous for running the Jordan Harbinger show. And I'm like, well, okay, there's like some element of truth to that. If you can even use the word famous with somebody who's just got some internet clout. Uh, but mostly it's me having invested over four uh, decade and change, right? 14 years of reaching out to people keeping in touch with people, helping people if I can do so, helping people get in touch with people who can help them in a scalable way and just dedicating five, 10 minutes to that every day, no more, no less. I love it, man. It goes back to exactly what you said, just having the discipline to do that small stuff every day starts to pay off dividends later on. Yeah. I, could do, I could do hours with you just on networking, the importance sure. of all this stuff you said, man, that that's huge. But I know, uh, I know you got a lot of stuff you got to do. So in the, in the victory lap here, a couple of final questions I'd like to ask before we let you go. One of them being, if you had a time machine and could go back in time and a younger Jordan Harbinger came and asked you for advice, knowing what you know now about life and business, what advice would you give a younger you today? I mean, I would probably skip law school because it was expensive <laughs> and time consuming. Like, look, it was great. I learned a lot of cool stuff. I got credentialed as an attorney. I got a high paying Wall Street job. Great. To be honest, I wanted to be a talk show host when I was a kid. I didn't think it was possible because it seemed like an impossible job to get. And then there, and there was no such thing really as like doing things on the internet for money back then. But I probably, I mean, look, as long as we are in a time machine, I'd say, look, develop these skills, sales, presentation, persuasion, influence, whatever it is, develop your network, start now, you know, don't wait till you're, I don't know, whatever, 30 or something like that, you know, when 27, I guess I was when I even started thinking about this even a little and develop this, develop this, develop this. And then, you know, then you'll be able to create your business and your training company or with that I don't have anymore. And, you know, create your, your, your career online. Because honestly, had I started off in radio and I kind of did, I was on Sirius XM satellite radio, but I was just moonlighting, right? I was a lawyer at the same time. 
I really could have just started there, honed my skill set as a talk show host, interviewer. I could have gone to journalism school instead of law school. There's just a lot of things I could have changed. I'm not bummed the way it turned out. It did great. It worked well for me. But, you know, I spent a lot of time stressing out about being unemployable and not being able to get a job or not fitting into a career and not liking the law and not understanding why people loved corporate law and I couldn't get into it. I mean, I spent so much time stressing about that stuff and it just turned out that I wasn't wired for that kind of thing. And I thought, oh my God, I'm going to die homeless. You know, I never thought, oh, I'm just cut out to run my own business. Nobody was even telling us that was possible back in the day. Now everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. It doesn't even mean, that word doesn't even mean anything anymore. But back when I was younger, the only entrepreneurs I know were like one guy owned a warehouse and I knew like a couple that owned a Chinese restaurant. There weren't people that had like good businesses that seemed remotely interesting. Um, and there certainly was nobody earning a living online. That, that wasn't even a thing back then. Sure. No, that's great advice, man. I love that. Uh, what would you say makes a good interview? You have to be curious genuinely. You know, I, I notice a lot of like podcasters and interviewers, they'll do this thing where they script out like 14 questions and you can really tell. Cause it's like, it, it's, it's not like, look, your question about a younger me was pretty good because it made sense in the context of what we were talking about. But I, I do some interviews and I won't name names, obviously, but there'll be somebody who goes, OK, you're trapped on a desert island and all you have is a laptop. What do you do? And then or other people be like, if you could make a if you could put a bumper sticker on everyone's car, what would that bumper sticker say? And it's just like are you just out of shit to ask me? Is that what's going on here? Like, are you just not you don't have anything that you're curious about that is about that is relevant to my life or relevant to my business. You don't know how to tease anything out of me that would be good for your listeners. So you're just asking me something that you think is going to elicit a clever answer. I'm not sure that's useful, you know, and I think people do it when they just don't really give a crap about. How do I fill this hour? You know what I'm saying? And so they come up with clever questions. No one cares about those. You know, if I'm imagine having a mafia enforcer on your show, like I did and going, what would you put on a bumper sticker? I don't really <laughs> care, man. I want to find out how this guy got in on a plot to assassinate the Pope. You know, I don't really care about like his philosophy on life other than something that has to do with his career as a mafia enforcer. I don't think, I think he would laugh that question out of the room and, you know, you're talking to some billionaire and you ask him what he would put on a bumper sticker. What? You're not going to ask him what he thinks of Bitcoin. You're not going to ask him what he thinks of uh, the current state of the economy. You're going to ask him about some crap that he's going to put on a bumper sticker. It's just it's just lazy, you know. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think being a good interviewer, you really do need to be genuinely curious. And if you're not, then you got to ask yourself, why? Are you interviewing people? Are you just co a content marketer that needs to fill up some time? And so this is your game. You know, like you, you really have to be careful with that. That's a fair answer, man. And you, you're an interesting one too, because there, there's usually, again, there's like one direction you can go and then put a bunch of questions there. And I, I literally just had pages of like, where do I start? Like what direction do you, and I figured we just take it somewhere, but you brought up one of the, the things that I, that's probably my favorite episode, the Anthony Luciano, the mob enforcer mm -hmm. one. My, my last question would be, was there any guests that you were like intimidated by or nervous about? Because I would have thought that one, and if anybody hasn't listened to that, I'll put it in the show notes, but what a freaking amazing interview that was.
Yeah, that guy, I mean, look, I don't, people go, oh man, you were there with Matthew McConaughey or Kobe Bryant, like, were you starstruck? Generally, no. I'm worried about the tech failing, because there's always, like, some technical error, and I'm always like, oh my god. Right, but... Uh, with some people, they're more difficult. And he was a little bit of a difficult guy because he didn't really like me in the beginning. Now he's texting me and shooting me emails and all that stuff. But in the beginning, he was like, I don't want to wear the headphones. Well, you don't have a thing where I can't wear headphones? I've done these before. I didn't have to wear headphones. And I'm like, okay, shit, you know. Um, but also, he had said something even before the interview where he was like, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I want to get in the car and go. I don't feel like it. And, uh, and then, but what he meant was like, I don't know if I trust this guy. Where am I going? Why am I doing this again? What good is it going to do me? So I had to kind of sell him on it. And I was like, this is not a good start. <laughs> you know, like not a good start. And, you know, there were other little sort of like red flags, but he was working with a friend of mine on a project. And I was like, can you call him and tell him that I'm not like a con artist? I'm not going to embarrass him. And so my friend had to kind of call him from Australia and like smooth things over and and now he's like a nice guy. I mean, we chat here and there and he, he's coming back and, you know, doing a follow up and we talk about other products. But it, it's a lot of these mafia guys are like that. They're not like warm and fuzzy dudes. They've killed like 19 people. They're not really like coming at you with open arms. You know, they, they go out. To, another friend of mine, um, buddy of mine is a former mafia enforcer named Sammy the Bull. And like. We have mutual friends, so we went out to dinner, and he was kind of standoffish in the beginning, and then he started to be really funny and charming, and then after the dinner, he goes, you know what, I like you, next time we're gonna, it'll be, be yeah, we'll do this again, it'll be a little bit more easygoing, and I was like, oh, that was fine, what's he talking about, and at the end of the thing, my, my buddy goes, yeah, you know, he really doesn't like new people, because... He's a gangster, you know, like he's when he meets new people, they either try to kill him, put him in jail. Like he's not in a hurry to make friends. He's 79 or whatever, you know, so you really these guys, they take they take things slowly because there's so much at stake. And that doesn't change even when you're old, retired, out of prison, running a pool cleaning business, you know, that the personality doesn't change. So those kinds of guys are always a little bit more work. I don't know if they're scary I'm not worried they're going to kill me or anything, but they're definitely a lot more work. It's it's like Joe Rogan says when you see, when you read people about getting eaten by lions and people are like, oh, he's like, oh, the lion did lion stuff. Like the, the gangster's doing gangster stuff. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. I totally get it, man. Well, you've been awesome, man. This was really a thrill for me. Um, I, I love talking to you. Uh, last thing before I let you go, talk about what's going on with you. How do people find you? Sure. What kind of projects do you have you can plug or people can connect with? Sure. So the networking course, again, free, no strings attached, six minute networking. It's at jordanharbinger.com slash course, or you can go to six minute networking.com. Um, and the Jordan Harbinger show is my podcast, you know, mafia enforcers, billionaires, drug dealers, also a lot of psychologists, scientists. It's not just bad people, right? Or formerly <laughs> bad people. Uh, I'd love it if people come in because, you know, I do like 10 plus hours of prep for every guest and, uh, you know, I'd like to think they're pretty good. You are a fan of the show, so you know. So I would love it if people checked out the Jordan Harbinger show, um, H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R. -E you know, I love new listeners, new fans, love hearing from people. So if people want to check it out and shoot me a, a note, at Jordan Harbinger on Twitter and Instagram is also a way to find me. But, you know, the bulk of my work, my work is this podcast. It, it honestly is one of the most unique and entertaining podcasts out there right now, I, I can't recommend it enough for, like you said, everything from, you know, stimulating your mind to making you laugh to making you cry 
I mean, you really check all the boxes. So I've been a big fan. I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you so much for your time. I will put all of those in the show links for, for the show. Any final thoughts before I let you go? That's it, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, good talking with you. And let me know when it comes out. I 100% will. Thanks a lot, man. Have a great day. You too.